from the studios of Postscript Media and Canary Media. Julian Spector, reporter at Canary Media, you went to Hawaii recently. I did. What brought you there? Yeah, it was, well, it was for work. I, I got to go where the, uh, you know, groundbreaking clean energy developments are happening. And uh, turns out Oahu is one of those places. So I'm sure you're on the airplane over there imagining the pristine beaches, the the jungles, the rooftop solar panels, but that's not where you were. Yeah, I mean, all of that was there, but actually my destination was a, a giant open air coal pile, just a big old pile of coal. Last fall, Julian Spector traveled to Oahu. This wasn't some luxury press junket to a vacation spot. He spent a lot of his time at this industrial park, at a coal plant that generates 15% of the island's electricity. And it's the largest power plant on Oahu, uh, which is the largest Hawaiian island by uh, population. So there's about a million people benefiting from the power this, this coal plant creates. The coal plant was built in the early 90s. It isn't just the biggest source of energy for Oahu. It's also one of the cheapest, but not for long. But not for long. That's right. It's going to have to shut down next year in September 2022. And uh, basically the race is on to, to build all kinds of clean energy around the island and make sure there's enough uh, to supply the, the grid when the coal goes away. Julian was there to write about a giant battery that will soon find a home in that West Oahu industrial park. Container units filled with Tesla batteries will replace piles of coal. And in theory, those batteries will store solar and wind electrons. Julian thought his story was about a positive transition from dirty to clean. But as he talked to developers and regulators on his trip, he heard unease about the demise of Hawaii's last coal plant, even from the people who supported closing it the most. There was definitely more than, than met the eye. And once I started digging in and asking questions, uh, the whole story got a lot more complicated. This is The Carbon Copy. I'm Stephen Lacey. Hawaii wants a carbon-free electric grid by 2045. First, it's got to replace a major coal plant this year. But there may not be enough clean energy to fill the gap. This week, what concerns over Hawaii's post-coal future tell us about the perils and payoffs of the energy transition. Faced with the surge of distributed energy resources, electric cars, and grid constraints, utilities are ramping up dynamic pricing. But the results are mixed. If utilities don't implement rates correctly or transparently, it could be a major roadblock for the energy transition and a headache for customers. On June 13th, Latitude Media and GridX will host a frontier forum to examine the imperative of good rate design and the consequences of getting it wrong. Register at the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com slash events. The Hawaiian islands collectively get 60% of electricity from burning imported oil or diesel. And in 1991, a coal plant was built on Oahu to replace some of that expensive petroleum. For 30 years, the AES coal power plant has provided cheap but dirty energy for Oahu's one million residents, tucked away in that industrial park. There's literal coal piles, just open air, just sitting in this, you know, otherwise beautiful uh, Pacific island. There's refineries and factories and smokestacks and trash incinerator. Not the most scenic um, part of the island, but, you know, by, by putting everything there, they kind of designed this, this zoning policy, you know, kept, kept the dirty stuff away from the visitors and kind of everyone else living there. 
Historically, the plant has been the cheapest source of power, thanks to a long-term coal supply deal negotiated back when the project was first launched. So there's a whole fuel security, fuel diversity benefit to it by not not being totally dependent on whatever the, the price of oil might be. It actually really helped out the community. But that was 30 years ago. And, you know, now we have climate change that we need to deal with. And uh, so having a, a coal burning plant uh, in a, a state dedicated to decarbonizing its grid wasn't going to wasn't going to work anymore. In the early 90s, coal was the economically reasonable alternative to oil when it came to making electricity. But today, solar is the cheapest form of energy in most regions of the world. And it's particularly attractive in places like Hawaii that import all those lumps of coal and barrels of petroleum to light on fire. Today, Hawaii gets a third of electricity from local renewable energy, the vast majority from solar. Almost half is from small systems on rooftops. That's way more than the mainland U.S., which gets about 20% of its energy from renewables, mostly hydro and wind. This trend accelerated when Hawaii decided it wanted to go all in on renewables. So, you know, you could go back to 2015, Hawaii passed the first 100% renewable uh, energy law, which really kicked off this trend that we saw in California. And now it's maybe a dozen states and even Congress, uh, you know, Joe Biden pushing for uh, 100% clean electricity uh, across the U.S., Um, So that started with Hawaii, which meant at some point the coal plant would need to go. And that point is now. Last year, Hawaii lawmakers passed a bill that would block any new contracts for coal power. It was an extra, just just making sure uh, that there wouldn't be any sort of way to keep this this coal plant open. And they were really clear about the intentions. The, the, The law said the purpose of this act is to eliminate the use of coal in Hawaii for electricity production. And uh, so as a result of that, this AES plant uh, in Oahu is going to have to shut down when its contract expires September of 2022. So what do they want to use to replace this coal plant? What's the plan right now? Yeah, well, all the new stuff has to be clean which is really different from the rest of the country. You know, if California, we, we built all this solar power, but we, we use a ton of natural gas that plays the role of, of balancing out the grid when you get rid of your coal. But it, Hawaii doesn't have that natural gas to lean on. So they're building a whole slew of large-scale solar. Uh, a lot of those are paired with batteries. Uh, then they're ramping up rooftop and and more distributed community-level renewables. And then this Kapolei energy storage uh, battery, which is uh, in many ways the linchpin of the whole plan for Oahu because it's it's located just down the street from the coal plant. So it plugs into the same part of the grid that the coal plant used to serve. And it's effectively the same capacity. So it can, it can deliver the same amount of oomph into the grid uh, that the coal plant used to do. Granted, it's, it's a battery, so it, it can't go on indefinitely. You got to charge it up again. But for those peak hours, uh, it's going to actually look quite a lot like what the coal plant was providing for, for the grid, just no emissions. Well, maybe no emissions. The coal plant will no longer spew particulates that harm local residents. But if Hawaii can't build enough extra renewable energy to fill that giant battery, closing coal could increase carbon emissions. What concerns did you hear? Well, the main concern is that there won't be enough clean energy built 
in time to to coincide with the the coal plant going away. That really opened up a whole a whole line of inquiry for me because I, I thought I was just going there to write about this this new battery that's modeling some new you know funky uh, things for the grid. Uh, and it turns out that there's very widespread concern in in the uh, Hawaii energy policy community because a, a lot of those big solar projects have slipped their timelines. It turns out, uh, and this is not surprising, but it's it's hard to develop in Hawaii and it's it's hard to develop quickly and uh, turn around those projects. And on top of that, you know, the, the utility Hawaiian Electric is kind of project managing a whole bunch of these projects simultaneously at, at a scale that's that's never been done there. Or, you know, it's a whole new um, venture to be trying to create large renewable power plants all across the state all at once and, and hope that everything goes goes swimmingly. On his reporting trip, Julian met up with a guy named Jay Griffin. Jay's a regulator at Hawaii's Public Utilities Commission, and he knows a lot about renewable energy. He was one of the many people expressing concern about the lack of preparation for the state's post-coal future. You know, earlier in his career, his job was like analyzing Hawaii's energy mix and and thinking about the the future of that. Um, So he's turned into a really pivotal player in this whole saga because he actually gets how clean energy works and he really brought the whole issue of the delays to to the public uh, attention back in March at this really fiery regulatory hearing. Your plan, to me, amounts to a shift from one fossil fuel to another. We're going from cigarettes to crack. We're going from coal to oil if we buy into what you have here and we don't aggressively change the trajectory of all of these things, which you've made next to impossible because we've delayed for 10, 12 months on Maui, two years. What he was trying to dial in on was what was going to happen if these delays on the clean energy projects persisted and meant that uh, you shut down the coal plant, bring on this whole new battery that needs to charge from somewhere, uh, and then you don't have all these clean power plants that you're expecting to have. Like, what do you do if if that's where things stand at the end of 2022? And it turned out the utilities uh, idea at the time was, well, you know, it's not that big a deal. We have these other power plants that happen to burn oil and diesel, and we could just burn more oil and diesel and fill up the battery with, with the oil and diesel power. And, you know, you lose some of that electricity in the round trip conversions to store it and bring it out. So you're actually like more carbon intensive if you're storing carbon intensive electricity. There are two bad possible scenarios. In one scenario, Hawaii's carbon emissions spike, making it harder to clean up the grid, and electricity prices could rise too. Under a worst-case scenario, Oahu faces power shortages. How high are the stakes in Hawaii? It's pretty darn high. I mean, it, it's a million people uh, living in Oahu. It's it's a huge port, you know, trading hub in between Asia and, and North America. You have the whole military presence, you know, the Pacific Command is based there. So, you know, this isn't just some little island. Uh, this is like some serious economic and uh, strategic and cultural values that depend on, on the grid working. 
So why is Hawaii's grid potentially unprepared for the clean energy ambitions set by lawmakers? Coming up after the break, the many forces behind the problem, the impact it could have on other states, and the solution. Mark your calendars for June 13th at noon Eastern. That's when Latitude Media and GridX will host a live, interactive discussion on implementing modern utility rates. Dynamic rates are vital for motivating customers to electrify, adopt DERs, and embrace demand flexibility. Utility rates could make or break the energy transition. So how do we do it right? Join Latitude Media's Stephen Lacey, GridX CCO Scott Ingstrom, and economist Ahmad Faruqi for an in-depth discussion on the future of rates on June 13th. Register for free by clicking the link in the show notes or go to latitudemedia.com slash events. Oahu is facing an energy crunch. Renewables should be able to help. Solar and wind are incredibly cheap, and they're a lot easier to build than a coal or diesel power plant. But large solar and wind plants require wide tracts of land, and there's not enough of it to rely on centralized projects to fully fill the gap. I was asking a lot about that, too. Like, what did, did anyone really expect it would be super easy to build an unprecedented number of large-scale solar plants in a place with very limited land? This is a particularly sensitive issue in a place like Hawaii, where locals are wary of outside developers. You have this history of colonial exploitation of the land through a plantation system that divvied up the island into these big tracts. Uh, and now, if you're a solar developer, you need large open space, you know, acres of, of open space. And so that uh, tends to push them towards the, the former plantation lands. And so that comes with this centuries of the history of companies coming in from elsewhere, coming in from the mainland and, um, you know, taking over the land for, for their profit. Uh, so you have to navigate that. You can't, you can't show up without a sense of history. Red tape is also an issue. Permits, paperwork, and utility grid studies can tack on months to already lengthy projects. And the utility, Hawaiian Electric, has been slammed for slowing approvals. And on top of all of that, the pandemic has made it harder and more expensive to build everything. We're now in this global logistics crunch uh, where parts, you know, batteries are in tight supply, just general commodities you need to, to construct things are, are hard to get. And so we've even been seeing some some developers like AES, uh, the same AES, in fact, is building some some new renewables projects, but uh, filed some force majeure uh, claims recently that their solar modules were, were getting caught up by some federal uh, inspections and, and that was delaying them. So there's really a whole slew of different challenges that are, are pushing these timelines back. To avoid power shortages, Hawaiian Electric is prepping existing power plants to compensate once the AES plant closes. But as we heard Commissioner Jay Griffith call out, those plants largely run on oil or diesel. And without lots of new renewables, that fancy new battery would rely mostly on oil and diesel. And that scenario has climate and economic consequences. You know, a scenario where they they do burn more oil to, to fill in the gap, and that drives up rates. Uh, and there, there's kind of this immediate impact on the pocketbooks of the customers because you're going from this cheap long-term coal supply to uh, much more expensive oil. And by the way, global price spikes in the, in the oil market. So not a great time for that, although who knows where we'll be 
you know, a year from now. So, you know, you could have this expensive, but still the the grid stays on situation. But one of the challenges here is we don't know exactly what will be in place and when. Like, uh, basically, all these projects are still in... um, a kind of ethereal, un, un, unbuilt state. Uh, some are further along in construction than others, but until it's actually up and running, you, you can't bank on it. Uh, and then there's always a possibility that something comes up at one of the existing plants or some some mechanical uh, issue can can always take a an old fossil fuel plant offline. And so it's you, you always want to have more capacity than you you think you're going to need. And these delays have definitely um, made that tighter than the uh, the regulators would would like to have. So, what are the different solutions that Hawaii has right now in front of it? I mean, what's working today, and what's feasible for Oahu? Well, Hawaii has a lot of rooftop solar today, and in fact, so much rooftop solar that they the the state put in place these policies to kind of discourage anyone from from exporting more to the the grid. Um, but that's going to change because we're going to have this big battery with Capilay. And now they're also paying what they call the battery bonus, where if you add a battery to your house when you already have solar, um, you could get up to like $4,000 of credit for making that that battery power available in the, in the evening hours. So you have Big battery able to store the excess solar power from the whole island, then more small batteries storing the the rooftop solar production locally. Some community level, you know, not as big as the the giant solar power plants, but bigger than the the, the rooftop stuff. That's going to get built, and that'll have some batteries too. And then these, you know, whole package of of large solar and battery projects uh, that the Hawaiian Electric's overseeing. So. That's a, that's a bunch of things. And they're all going to be kind of connected in a way that the old-fashioned grid never was. So we're at a point in Hawaii where this doesn't work without batteries. You can't make this final transition without some form of dynamic energy storage. Absolutely. Yeah, there's got to be energy storage there. And, um, you know, if you want to see that dynamic e- even more uh, dramatically, look at the, the island of Kauai, where the uh, electric cooperative there, they really pioneered the the Solar Plus battery plant as a concept uh, several years ago. They built more batteries, then they they basically got as much mileage out of that as they could. And and now they're even looking at a new pumped hydro storage uh, for longer duration uh, storage of electricity. So the idea being, you know, they have enough solar to get them through the day, they have batteries to get them through the, the evening peak, and then you you use this hydro facility to carry you through the night, and uh, then you you have uh, more or less a complete twenty four seven loop of clean energy at all the times you need it. Hawaii is often called the postcard from the future in energy circles. It was one of the first states to see explosive growth in solar. It's managing small and big batteries in new ways, and it's now trying to eliminate coal without using other fossil fuels as a backup. And as coal declines sharply throughout the mainland U.S., Hawaii may also help us answer an important question about how that gap will be filled. What are the stakes for the energy transition across America? If this doesn't work in Hawaii, what does experience tell you about how it could derail the transition or impact decisions that other utilities or regulators make? 
That's a really important question. If things don't go smoothly, it certainly could give fodder to people who uh, say that, hey, it's dangerous to, to move too fast on this stuff. Or, you know, we, we need these coal plants. They're they're reliable and this new newfangled stuff isn't, you know, so that that would be kind of a, a an unforced error for the the energy transition, because technically there's no reason that this shouldn't work. It's it's really coming down to just getting it done now. Um, but if it does work, you know, what, what better example, what better case study could you really have that you, you, you know, took major steps in the early 2020s to uh, decarbonize this grid serving a million people and all these critical functions and that it's this uh, balance between large centralized utility infrastructure and small distributed customer centric infrastructure working together seamlessly. You know, they, this is a lot of the ideas that have been touted at industry conferences and white papers and all of that for, for years now. And Hawaii is actually doing it. So if they can pull it off over there, uh, then it, it becomes a whole lot less theoretical. Julian Spector is a senior reporter for Canary Media, and I can't help but take a little bit of credit for his trip to Hawaii. Do you remember my first day at Green Tech Media when you, you brought me into the office and showed me around and you were kind of like, hey, <laughs> you should write about batteries? I do. I, I didn't know that would end up bringing me to, to Honolulu <laughs> uh, down the road. The Carbon Copy is a co-production of Postscript Media and Canary Media, our producers are Dalvin Abawaje, Jamie Kaiser, Daniel Waldorf, and Alexandria Herr. Sean Marquand mixed the episode and composed our theme. The original music came from Echo Finch and Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks to Canary Media for their partnership. Go listen to this show over at Canary Media or find it anywhere you get your podcasts and give us a rating and review to help others find the show. Seriously, it is so helpful. Please spread the word. We're continuing to build out the audiences for these new shows that we're doing with Canary. And the more you help spread the word, the wider the conversation becomes on the energy transition and the future of climate change. We've also got another show, a companion podcast called Catalyst with Shale Khan. That's deep dive conversations on how to decarbonize different sectors of the economy. You can find it at Canary Media or any podcast app. Join us here next week. I'm Stephen Lacey. Thanks for being here. <laughs>